Hello and welcome to Gatsby Fridays, a show about getting the best out of a creative life from two creative directors working around the world and based in New York City. I'm your host, Alex Tremilio. And I'm Sarah Semi. Today, we will be talking about how to hustle you and your work. We'll talk about knowing your audience, how to present your work, and best platforms to showcase your vision. And at the end of each episode, we make a signature cocktail to toast cheers to you. So hang with us as we discuss how to hustle you and your work. I'm your host, Sarah. And I'm Alex. And And this this is Gatsby Gatsby Fridays. Alex, let's be real. Before we talk about selling yourself, because that's what we're doing, let's do a check-in. How are you and what are you wearing? I am feeling good. I stopped wearing Hawaiian shirts just to (laughs) differentiate what I'm wearing on the podcast because it seems like I'm always wearing Hawaiian shirts. There is a torrential downpour. Uh, we may be having a hurricane or we're in, in the middle of a hurricane. So I decided perhaps Hawaiian shirts were not appropriate. But I am wearing a vintage Sonic Youth t-shirt. Well, tell and, me more about the t-shirt. And Sonic Youth um, was one of my most favorite bands. I, I have, when people were collecting CDs, I had 12 CDs of Sonic Youth. And... That I know that that's probably not a reference that people have now because everything is 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 uh, streamed, but twelve CDs in their cases on your shelf take up a lot of space <laughs> compared to all the other music that's there. I just love them. I'm wearing acid wash black jeans and dirty Vans. I feel like I look like a East Village hipster for circa 1997. What I wanted to ask you, Sarah. I noticed that you don't have band t-shirts. I don't wear t-shirts like that. I used to when I was younger. I Well, I don't have band t-shirts. Um, but also, I just don't wear t-shirts. The neckline. The I neckline. You don't wear this type of neckline. I feel, yeah, I don't okay. I do not do all with the... It feels like it's suffocating me, so I don't really do... I, I like open chest. <laughs> Easy breezy. Yeah. Um, I can't... I can barely do turtlenecks, so... <laughs> So winters must be brutal. Because you no, no, you put just on a scarf. Just put on a lot of scarves. You put on yeah, a lot of just scarves. Just put on a scarf instead. Like I just don't like that that feeling. So how are you, and what are you wearing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm wearing um, I'm wearing my old trusty tank top, white tank top, torn denim. It's disgusting outside. So like, <laughs> it seems to be a just, theme every time just, we I know, get like, back you know, on uh, this. But this is like it's no. we're doing this in the summer. We're doing this I in mean, the dog doing, days of summer. I mean, and then when it gets cold, it's going to be like, oh my god, it's so cold outside. But this is, <laughs> this is like there's the mask, and then there's the humidity of the city, and then there's the hurricane and the wind and the rain coming at you from it's sideways a, it's and a the wonder umbrellas. We've like, down here. The, like the entire experience. So like, what I'm wearing is, can just it's just clothes. <laughs> I am not wearing my. I like I didn't give it that much thinking today because I just needed to get down here and be comfortable. That's real. That's real. Let's define the hustle. How would you describe hustling? When it comes to your career, how did you sell your first ideas? So what I want to do is start start in the beginning. When I was born... (laughs) No, 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 I'm going to start, I'm going to start at school. Oh boy. I don't even, I don't even want, let's not even begin that conversation. Um, I wanted to start with school 
because and we were talking a little bit earlier when you're in school you you all start at a at a equal playing at equal base and what i mean by that is no one knows what they're doing you're all learning the same thing and when you finally get out of school you have a set of tools that you all have together now how do you differentiate yourself uh, between yourself and your fellow student when trying to hustle getting into your first job or your first career or whatever have you. For me, uh, my first couple of jobs were actually internships. And oddly enough, my background and my official degrees are in fashion. But most of the people that I was interviewing with were interested more in my art in my artwork because when you're in school just so people know if you're not a, if you're not an art student your first couple of years are your and then you do your artwork foundation foundation they're your foundation years so i did all my artwork all my general artwork in my foundation years and i really had a knack for doing my own personal visual art and that's what kind of got me into the door once i started doing that people started seeing how different I was versus the other person who basically graduated with the same degree that I did. And I got my first internship with my art portfolio. Yes. That's, I mean, I was a fine arts student, so that's all I had to show. And that's, and I, and I feel like that really pulls you into the personality of who you are or who a, per, a prospective client or employer would want to draw out of you. That's what I would have wanted to draw out of someone who would be working for me. Yes, they know how to do the foundational work. Yes, they know how to do the technical work. But where where does their personality fit into the picture? And that's something I would want to know when either hiring somebody. And that's what I think people have wanted to know with me. I mean, from a hiring perspective, everybody goes through the same class. Yes. I want to see your talent. And the classes only show so much of it. I want to see what you do when you don't have the defined parameters of a project. So when I see when I when I review portfolios, that's what I like to see. Um, were there any portfolios that stuck out in your mind when you were, or or what type of work did you sh- what type of work did you show that felt differentiated you from the others? For me, um, I mean, throughout my career, um, my first portfolio was all fine arts because that's what I studied in undergrad. Same. And I I earned my first job with that first internship I landed with that portfolio. Um, and then I built my portfolio through the first four years of working at the um, at the Browning Agency you and I met. Work that I did there was mostly handmade books. I, w- I did very little graphic design work, um, but I took continuing education classes, and I had to put together a book um, to apply to grad school. The, the work that I showed there was trying to showcase that to go into grad school for um, for a master's degree, you have to show that you already have the foundations of graphic design. You're not there to learn typography. You're learn to you learn you're there to learn methodology and critical thinking. So from that perspective, my portfolio needed to show those things. So that was defined by what the schools needed to see. Yes. After the after I finished the program. I was very heavily influenced by the academia of how you portray yourself. But my, I had two interviews. Um, when I started looking for jobs after grad school, I put together my portfolio. And the first one was at Edelman Digital, and it was a long interview. There's a lot of people in the room. 
I got to meet most of the team and I thought like, okay, this is great. Like, you know, they keep bringing more people into the room. They must really like me. And at the end, I didn't get the job because they said my portfolio was too analog. And when I say analog, it, it means it goes back to my thesis in grad school was about branding um, and how you can find patterns of human behavior and online, um, online, online behavior, how people tag their photos, how people choose to present themselves, um, and how branding plays in a role plays a role in this. The best, uh, the best work I did was when I kind of lost my way and went back to graphic design and printmaking again in undergrad, and that kind of uh, refocused my vision. And the next, and that pretty much defined. I have more of an expressive style, that defined that art. Going back to print and paper and art, defined my thesis, but also, that's why I didn't get that job because my work looked too tactile for them. And and then I interviewed at Black Book Magazine, and I got the job exactly because of that. Exactly, I, I I feel I feel you're right, and I feel that people look for the tactileness, and it's surprising because what I wanted to, what I was thinking was, once again, you know, we're doing a podcast on how to get the best out of a creative life, and it seemed like you started interjecting your passion project yeah. into Already. your. Yeah. Without into realizing. your professional work, and that turned it. it. It turned a switch not only in you, but in the visual look of your work. Yeah, and it got you, and it got you to places that you wanted to be. Uh, sometimes, maybe even unbeknownst to you, I, I, I you know, and we'll have, and we're having that conversation. Yeah, I mean, the job that I actually ended up getting was a much better fit for me. I feel that. the same. I feel the same. I feel like once I started stop once i stopped showing my technical work people started gravitating towards the artwork and the artwork when i and when i say artwork it was still within the same genre of fashion that i was already in but it just showed more expressive sketching more more uh thought in fabrics and and whimsy in design that just got me over the hump i like that you brought up technical because when i review um, portfolios to hire on uh, into my studio um, to build a team for specific projects I have been overwhelmed by the new batch of students coming from um, schools like Flatiron School and General Assembly and the UX portfolios UX is not design UX is user experience design and it, when I specify, like, it doesn't have, it's the technical side stuff, right? Yes. It's the wireframes, it's the user scenarios, it's maps. I, that's, that's not what I was looking for. So that's a whole episode that we can talk about how, you know, continuing education plays a role in your career. But plays a slightly um, distorted role in what people see and what, what you... But I see a lot of that technical type of um, portfolio now because of these schools people changing careers not everyone's an artist at heart <laughs> and that's something like I when I look at portfolios I want to see the talent because I can I can teach you how to think in a certain way I can teach you how to change a style but I can't teach you the talent if you don't already have it the fundamentals don't change when you learn a suite of programs you learn it's that simple suite of programs and that is that that's just a tool how you use it 
and what your self-expression is is what pulls you over. Self-expression. That's the self-expression. What did I say? No, I'm I'm oh, confirming. Yeah, it's it's yeah, and I think that's what puts you over. I mean, that's what I want to look for when I'm hiring exactly. uh, someone. Agreed. Let's move on and talk about knowing your audience and reading the room. Sarah, different types of groups require different types of approaches. How did you tailor your message to suit these groups? I mean, the simplest, um, the easiest reference I can have for this is cover letters. When I apply to opportunities, I, I hate to write that individual cover letter for every opportunity, especially if you're looking for a job and you're applying to whatever you can get your hands on. It's like, oh my God, seeing the same thing over and over again. It's the same message. The work should speak for itself. The work never speaks for itself. It, you have to say why that particular opportunity is relevant for you. You have to talk to their specific needs. And, or when I'm approaching clients, when I have decks, I, I, have my, I have a base deck that I send out to clients for pitches, usually after a pres- conversation, so I know what they're looking for. I never send it right off the bat, um, blindly. I have not been able to send a single pitch to two separate client potential clients. I have to always go in and customize why this, like, you know, my portfolio is what it is. The work that I've done is what it is. I need to say why this particular branding is relevant to your needs. Yes. Um, so without that message, um, you, you just, they don't, you don't make the connection. You don't, you don't make it past the next level. Sarah, what I wanted to talk about and add on to what you were saying about cover letters is that we all hate cover letters. <laughs> we all hate doing cover letters. I mean, how do you distill who you are, what you can offer, and what you represent in two paragraphs and send it out into the vast ether of the internet? Come off authentic, not, not And come off up, genuine. Not and, sucking up, not trying to, not too humble, but not too salesy. This is the hustle. This is truly the hustle. Like, I, you know, I don't write cover letters. And I know that that's going to be, that's a little bit of a shocker. But I I tend to just speak the way I speak now to people. And yeah, it's not a blase. Yeah, if you're applying for a position that requires a cover letter, it's a position you found online, and it's a great opportunity that you want to be considered for, you're going to write that letter. You're going to have to write the cover letter, yes. But you can. there are ways to still be genuine, I hope, <laughs> in your cover letter. I, You know, because I mean, here's the thing. It's a they, challenge. They need to know that you can just get the work done. So there's a list of uh, responsibilities that, or programs that you are just required to know for the for whatever the job is. But after, you, or after all that is listed, who are you? And what do you represent? And more importantly, what can you offer? And I tend to fall on personality. And I try to make sure that that personality comes through in the cover letter or whatever little blurb I'm trying to write about myself. And that's, and that's, and that's always an ongoing work in progress. I think Absolutely. we all need to figure out how to always constantly sell ourselves. And also, it's strange because you need to sell yourself in a smaller and smaller and smaller window. What's your elevator pitch? What's your, what's your five-minute pitch? What's your two-minute pitch? What's your 30-second pitch? And it's getting smaller. Do you um, understand what I'm saying? I understand what you're saying, um, but that's not always the case. I mean, it's, yes, 
you need to have an elevator pitch. When did you actually pitch yourself in an elevator? <laughs> what did it call? That's yeah, just an exp- that's just a we're it's a very mad man, advertising age kind of thing. We don't. You do need to make connections in person, and that's your in person representation. And though, again, your personality needs to come through. And I think the thing that you touched on the most important part is the personality. Um, when I review portfolios for um, for designers or interns that I'm hiring, they're usually entry level and the portfolio is limited and they've all taken the same classes and they have satisfied the class requirements so they have projects to full populate their portfolios. But at that level, there's there's not that much personality that shines through. That's when the personal artwork that supports that portfolio is really important, but also the cover letter. As much as I hate writing them, I do not consider applications in that cover letters because I don't have time to give you a chance to articulate yourself mm. if you did not take the time. I'm putting time aside to review your work and see if you're a good match for this. If you want the job, you take the time and you give it some thought and tell me why you're the better match for this job. So when it comes to those cover letters, like what what words or phrases stick in your mind that kind of pop out to kind of show a little bit of a personality? Um, It's never the, uh, I'm, I'm going to, like, you know, I've done this and then I've done that and this is the perfect match. I'm the perfect match for this. Of mm-hmm. course you think they're a good match for this. And you write, you write from that perspective. Yes, but you're... tell me a story. Tell me why, like, you know, what you did last summer uh... that you, you, you did this, you know, you were working at a coffee shop and this opportunity that you just created for yourself and it may not be something that you can include in your portfolio. It's not going to show up in your resume. This is your opportunity. Tell me who you are. Tell me a little story. It make sure that it's relevant to why you're telling it and there's an opportunity for you to differentiate yourself from the other candidates and as much as i hate writing them once you step on this side of the table i realize why they're a crucial tool yes and it's important not to dismiss them tell your story well there's also you know audiences are different like i said like a client and 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 an employer are kind of interchangeable in a way there's also when you where you were talking about the elevator pitch man the networking events presentations that you give different types of people that you're talking to i mean you have to know who your audience is if you're going to speak at the type directors club you know your your audience is already very design savvy so don't give them the most basic conversation. Give them something a little more extra about an insider thing that they might find interesting. But at the same time, you could also be in a situation where you have a client that is unaware of what the of what your technical prowess is, and that's that's okay. But what needs to so then what needs to happen in those types of situation is really the overarching vision of what your presentation is going to display. One just has to be aware that every project is different. And you you always have to tailor your message to suit the project that you're doing, uh, tailor your message to suit the audience that you're in front of. And for me, I just remembered a time where I'm doing a presentation in Shanghai, and it's a bunch of guys, older men, who don't speak English, or English is limited. I do not speak Cantonese or Mandarin and through an interpreter I had to get my message across which meant that the presentation that I had prepared was totally out of the window because I had to simplify the message 
and simplify my deck, even simplify my deck in the middle of the meeting to suit the client needs. And luckily that worked out. Talk about lost in translation. <laughs> luckily it worked out and, and they understood the message. But man, you know, talk about like really different audiences. Um, you know, not only the language barrier, the cultural barrier, uh, but they but they understood what we were what what I was trying to do. They understood because you paid attention that this audience needed a different approach. Yes. Right now we're going to take a break and when we come back we'll talk about how do you sell yourself in a pandemic. Hello and welcome back to Gatsby Fridays. Sarah, let's talk about how to hustle now with in-person meetings not happening or limited at best. How do we connect with potential clients or collaborators? What have we lost? by not meeting face-to-face? I didn't really lose anything. Um, I was My practice is already remote. I have one client in the city that I haven't seen in over a year in person. And at this moment, I have one client in Boston and one client in San Francisco. Even without the pandemic, I wasn't going to go to those places to meet with them. And I, I mean, these were um, projects that I landed through personal connections, but we're not, we wouldn't have done in-person meetings even without the pandemic. I have had in the past clients from Atlanta to Amsterdam. Um, what I wanted to say is, so I typically go into an office prior to the pandemic. Um, I, I go to an office every day, just as, as I'm sure you do as well. Um, but since we've been working remotely and I've been working mainly from home, uh, there's just no way to be meeting people face to face because of what we're what what the world is facing right now, which is understandable, obviously. So we've had to adjust. I've had to adjust. There's a lot of meetings on Zoom. There's a lot of phone conversations. Um, luckily, you know, we have these tools, so I'm able to show show uh, potential projects to people uh, visually, which is which is always what we've always been doing. So it, I think what is missing. And I do miss meeting people and, and talking to people and, and facing them eye to eye, checking body language. You know, I feel like we've lost how to read each other physically and how to test the mood, which I think is, is something valuable for landing a client, for getting your point across, for making sure someone understands your vision. We've lost a little bit. I do miss meeting people in person. You miss it, but then, but that's kind of an emotional connection to that. Yes. It's in ter- from a results perspective. What did you really lose? Not nothing. I mean, work is still going. That's what <laughs> that's, I mean. That's, I mean right? Yeah, like, that's cool, and that's fine. But I don't mind speaking from a place of emotion. I think, I think when you meet someone, especially in a creative field, there there needs to be a spark. There needs to be emotion. Me that, and that's just me speaking for, no, I for agree myself. With emotional connection. Um, but you're you're right. I, I you know work is work, and people read your work and they yay or nay it, and you move on. I'm just talking from the I'm talking from an emotional perspective, with in person physical meetings, and and just understanding people where they are when you see them in a room. From an emotional perspective, I, I miss the camaraderie of, you know, connecting with people around me. But other than that, I mean, because of 
the way that the world is running now everyone's having their you know remote year and working from beaches and stuff this is just now we're just working from our couches it's not that different ever since i started on my own personal meetings have always been limited it's just convenient to it's time saving it I, di i didn't really miss anything by not connecting to them in person or i actually increased opportunities because they were i had these tools at my disposal i've never been to amsterdam but i had a client in amsterdam <laughs> that says that speaks for itself um from an emotional perspective yes i miss i miss the friendships and the connections but in terms of presenting my work and selling myself i didn't really lose results those things don't change yeah yeah i agree time for a break and when we get back we'll talk about resources hello and welcome back to gatsby fridays alex let's talk about resources what has helped you get your message out well we're gonna we're gonna have a discussion about platforms so you know everyone's portfolio at this point hopefully is online um and what's great about that is that you can put up anything you want and you can actually put you can put your your um passion projects alongside your commercial work and they can sit side by side which is wonderful I think I think being online and having your portfolio online is just what the reality of the world is, and it's been that way for years. Uh, social media, another aspect of of uh, putting your work out there, is a little bit murky. Well, it's more for passion projects, I think. Yeah. I don't want to see your portfolio on Instagram. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, I, wanna... I, you know, take the time, organize your portfolio, present it in a website format or some sort of digital format that I can see. But social media should be in addition to your. It shouldn't be your formatted, main. formatted portfolio body of work. So if let's say this then, so what you're, so if social media is more of your, your front front brain just thinking and processing and thinking and processing, the website or your site is more of the controlled thought, and not as random. I wouldn't call Instagram random, but it's it doesn't. It's bits and pieces. It's not. It doesn't get a body of work across. And I'm not looking at like we said before about the stories that I want to hear. Your personality, your body of work should include a wholesome representation of who you are, what you're capable of, your skill set, and your talents. Skill sets and talents are not the same thing. So I want to be able to see that and also presenting yourself in a in a thought out formatted way also shows me that you it's a different level of skills shows shows me that you can organize and put a methodology together on how you see you understand and you can analyze your work. You can't sell yourself. How are you supposed to sell work for my clients? How are you supposed to sell my projects? What I wanted to ask you actually was how do you feel about secondary uh, secondary sites hosting your work and hosting your uh, portfolio? I think that if you have your own portfolio, oftentimes people also put work on host sites. I had to. We all have to. What, I hate what's your it. thoughts on it's, it? It's a lot of work. It's a lot of redundant work. I don't yes. mind the work itself. I just feel like it's redundant work, but 
you have to have a presence in these in these bigger collectives. Without those, I mean, Behance, it's global. It's full yes. of crap was... at the same time. But every time that I update something, I get a reaction. I get a call from a headhunter. Um, there are people out there. Because that's how they will find you. A, a standalone website is only going to be found as much as they know who you are. If your standalone website is, and the analogy I like to use is an island, the secondary host platforms are the satellite islands. And people are more inclined to... Bridges. And bridges to those satellite islands. And people are more inclined to go looking through the islands to see, oh, if this little piece is here, I wonder what the main island offers. And hopefully maybe that drives traffic to your site and drives clients to your bigger site to see more of your work. But I think we're we're in agreement that these uh, secondary uh, hosting sites that host portfolios are also very important. Also expands your network. What do you mean by that? Well, so if you have, like what we were talking about before, if you have your website and you host certain aspects of your website on secondary platforms, it just makes sure it, it makes sure your audience larger. Uh, like when we were talking about Behance, I'm thinking about it's working, not working, working, not working. There's Coraflot, float, um, Coraflot. Yep. Um, if that still exists, I don't know if that does. I think it does. Um, and there's anyway, there's there's tons of them out there, tons of them out there. It is a lot of maintenance. You got to constantly update those as much as you update your That's main site. That's the hustle. That's the hustle. You got to keep doing it. It doesn't. It's not just one and done. You can't just put up the site and be done with it. We we are part of. Um, I my my studio is part of uh, WeWork for um, not just renting your office space, but I, I mostly stayed in the WeWork network because of the because of the global connection to people that it provides me. But just being a part of that network doesn't doesn't do anything on its own. So I post twice a week. It's the same thing. It's not ideal. The best way to do it would be to to post something unique every week at least. But we've been posting the same thing. But it it's out of sight, out of mind. You have to constantly put something on in front of people's eyes. So when they really need someone, they remember you. So those that's how I get my message out. It's not that I've done the website. The website's done on its own. No one's going to come in and dig through the work also. But you have to individually come in and pull out your pro- projects that you're most proud of and, and put it in front of people's faces, basically, on a regular basis, weekly, at the same time, consistently. Have you, what, what I wanted to ask is, have you discovered talent on these post-secondary sites i tried to do job postings there but um i didn't really get the results i was looking for Mm. um also i didn't want to pay for the job post i try to go directly through the schools but that's because i'm a small operation i'm i I don't I, i think that there's value in being part of these platforms my me not looking for candidates there it shouldn't be the rule no i was going to say that i i've discovered talent that i've actually hired uh through these secondary sites so it's a it's it's the main thing is it's important to have your work everywhere as as many places as you can put it and keep consistently show how would i how would i phrase that you can't just you can't just put your portfolio on behance and be done with it either you have to 
like other people's works, you have to interact. It's the same thing with the Instagram algorithms. Like the more interactive that you are, the more your stuff is in front of other people's eyes. You have to connect with people. That's how they're going to know you're there. It's engagement. You have to engage as much as you want people to engage with your work. It's a, you know, it's, it's this ecosystem where we all help each other. Now let's move on to our favorite part of this in every episode, our signature cocktail. Alex, what do you have for us today? Okay, so you've landed the client, you've got the collaboration. What do you do? You want to celebrate. You want shots. You want a round of them for you and your friends. What are you going to drink? You're going to drink the hustle shot. <laughs> the hustle shot. <laughs> yes. All right. Tell me about the hustle shot. What's in this thing? In a shaker full of ice, one part dark rum, one part light rum, half part pineapple juice, half part lime juice, and a dash of bitters. Put your shot glasses out. Make sure your friends are ready. Pour it out. And cheers. And that's a hustle shot. We're at the end of our podcast. Don't forget to rate us. Give us five stars and write a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps to get in front of more ears and build our audience. Thank you for hanging with us. For a list of resources mentioned in this episode, hop onto our site, GatsbyFridays.com. You can find the recipe for the hustle shot on our website, GatsbyFridays.com. For show notes, or if you want to leave a comment, suggest a show topic, get us at on our site. Or on Instagram, follow us at Gatsby Fridays. Stay with us. On our next episode, we will discuss visual activism. This this is is Gatsby Gatsby Fridays. Fridays. You didn't say and. Okay, let's do it again. Stay with us. On our next episode, we will discuss visual activism. And this this is... I thought you were going to say it. Jeez. Okay. Okay. (laughs) No end. This is Gatsby Fridays. Okay. Okay. Here we go. I think it's still going, right? It's still going, yeah. Okay. Stay with us on our next episode. We will discuss visual activism. This This is is Gatsby Gatsby Fridays. Fridays.